podcast about anything and everything weather science earth science astronomy today we're taking to the heavens our solar system and some off-topic episodes that periodically we like to do especially on open line friday i'm your host and the creator of the weather jazz podcast on very Bornier, and i'm the senior meteorologist on staff with wjw television in cleveland ohio This is episode number 336 for Wednesday, June 8, 2022. And coming up in just a little bit, we will continue with our series on the solar system, exploring various aspects of it. We have hit many of our planets except Earth, and we've not yet hit our own moon or the sun, but that is a subject that we will dig into. And I have a sneaking suspicion that uh, those three objects are going to really require more than just one sitting per object. Now, those of you that remember the complexity of Saturn, we split that up into three episodes. The planet itself, the lunar system, the moons, and the rings. And as we begin to look at the sun, our sun, the earth, and our moon, which is certainly very complex, we know a great deal about those particular items because, well, they're certainly very close in terms of astronomical units. Obviously, though, the farther away we move from earth, the tougher it is to get some definitive answers about some of the things that we'll be studying, and thus the Kuiper Belt. It's way out there. It's beyond the orbit of Neptune and goes beyond Pluto even. And those objects are kind of difficult to really get a hold on. We know a little bit about it, as you will see. However, there certainly is a lot to be discovered about the Kuiper Belt. And what's beyond the Kuiper Belt? Oh, there's something beyond the Kuiper Belt. I'll talk more about that at the end of today's program. One more thing before we take a break, and that is the fact that I have started reading Alex Price's book. Alex is a friend of Weather Jazz, and I would frequently see Alex in the Fox 8 Weather Facebook page room where we did the fireside chats a number of years ago. It's been a while since I've done that. And of course, I'm starting to use the page to record some Open Line Friday segments for right here 
on Weather Jazz. Now, up to this point, I've recorded them right around the noon hour, about 11.30 a.m., but obviously my audience is limited because of the lunch crowd. So many people are at work. So I think what I'm going to do this week is record something on Thursday in the evening so that we can get some of the bigger crowds that we used to have for the fireside chat, which periodically went into the hundreds. So we'll have a few more good questions, I would imagine. So look for that coming up and make sure that you subscribe or click on the like button for the Fox 8 Weather Facebook page, because that's where I will be going live on Thursday night, Thursday evening, probably somewhere around 8.30-ish, give or take a little bit. So look for that, look for details, and make sure you like the page. But back to my friend Alex. He recently wrote a book, and I finally started getting to it last night. I have it on my nightstand. I do like to read a little bit before I go to bed, and I started the first two chapters I got to tell you, it is a page turner. The book's name is Never Give Up, How I Stayed Strong Through Life's Challenges. It's by Alex Price. It's available on Amazon. That's how I got my copy. And so far, I am truly drawn in to Alex's story. And one of the things I'm thinking about is perhaps getting into Alex's story and sharing it on Open Line Friday, maybe reading a chapter or two. I'll try to get his permission to do that. And if I can, perhaps we'll dig into this very, very interesting person. The first two chapters, truly amazing. And uh, what this young man has uh, gone through so far in life. And he really has used everything that life has tossed his way to his advantage. I guess that's a pretty important key. Okay, when we come back, the Kuiper Belt, what we know about it, what we don't know about it, and a whole lot more. Hope you'll stick around. All right, we're back, and it's time to dig into the Kuiper Belt, spelled K-U-I-P-R. Now, you got to realize the Kuiper Belt is beyond the orbit of Neptune and just edges into Pluto's orbit. Some astronomers believe that Pluto really is more of a Kuiper Belt object than anything else. It's one of those objects that kind of shares the planetary realm and the Kuiper Belt realm. But the Kuiper Belt was not something that was really discovered until recently, and we'll get into that. It is a circumstellar disk in the outer solar system extending from roughly the orbit of Neptune at about 30 astronomical units, which, by the way, an astronomical unit is the distance between the Sun and planet Earth. So it's 30 times that distance. That's way out. And this Kuiper Belt goes all the way out to 50, 50 astronomical units away from the Sun. It is similar to the asteroid belt, which is obviously closer to Earth. However, the Kuiper belt is far larger. It's 20 times as wide and almost 200 times as massive 
However, it consists mostly of very small bodies or remnants from when the solar system was formed. And while many of the asteroids are composed primarily of rock and metal, most Kuiper Belt objects are composed largely of frozen volatiles. That's the term we use for ices such as, such as frozen methane, ammonia, and water. Now, some of the objects inside the Kuiper Belt, which have been discovered since 1992, actually have names. Some of the names include Orcus, Haumea, Quarar, and, I believe I'm pronouncing this correctly, Maki Maki. It looks like Make Make. And it is a bit of a speculation, but it's a good one. Some of the solar system's moons, such as Neptune's Triton and Saturn's Phoebe, may have actually originated as a Kuiper Belt object. Okay, so why the name Kuiper Belt? You would think that the name would reflect the person who discovered the Kuiper Belt. In other words, somebody whose name is Kuiper. Well, there, there is somebody whose name is Kuiper. Gerard Kuiper is his name, and he's a Dutch astronomer. However, he did not predict the Kuiper Belt's existence, which is kind of an interesting oddity. One of the first things that was discovered in the Kuiper Belt in 1992 was an object that has been dubbed Albion. It was discovered as the first Kuiper Belt object, or what they called KBOs, since Pluto in 1930. So beyond Pluto, there wasn't much discovered beyond Pluto up until 1992. That's a very, very long period. But remember, the farther out you go, the tougher it is to begin to observe some of these objects. And I'll get into some of the nuances on why that is coming up in just a little bit. All right, since 1992, this is interesting, the number of known KBOs has increased from one to thousands. And it is thought that right now there are probably more than 100,000 KBOs that are over 100 kilometers in diameter. They're thought to exist. And slowly but surely, they are being discovered. Now, until recently, the Kuiper Belt was initially thought to be the main repository for periodic comets. That makes a lot of sense. And those with orbits lasting less than 200 years. But studies since the mid-1990s, when the Kuiper Belt was discovered, have shown that the belt is actually dynamically stable. In other words, comets really don't come from the Kuiper Belt. Now, is there anything beyond the Kuiper Belt? Well, at this stage, we have a hypothesis, something called the Oort Cloud, O-O-R-T. And we'll delve into that next week, which is going to be a lot more difficult because it's essentially a hypothetical area that is beyond the very difficult to observe Kuiper Belt. All right, I can hear you asking the question already. If the Dutch astronomer, Gerard Kuiper, did not even hypothesize the fact that there was a Kuiper belt beyond Pluto, who discovered it? And the first astronomer to suggest the existence of a trans-Neptunian population was someone by the name of Frederick Leonard. Soon after Pluto's discovery, by Clyde Tombaugh in 1930, 
Leonard pondered whether it was, quote, not likely that in Pluto there has come to light the first of a series of ultra-Neptunian bodies. And since then, over the decades, there have been a number of papers put out postulating this possibility. In 1943, in the Journal of the British Astronomical Association, In 1951, another paper in Astrophysics, a topical symposium. And in 1977, there was a brand new way developed to discover both distant and very dim objects, something called a blink comparator. And since then, the blink comparator, which uses CCD devices instead of film, uses the strength of the sensitivity of the CCD versus the film in order to pick up very dim objects. Now, in 1987, there was an astronomer whose name was David Jewett. At that time, he was at MIT, just outside of Boston. He became increasingly puzzled by the apparent emptiness of the outer solar system. In fact, he encouraged then-graduate student by the name of Jane Liu to aid him in his endeavor to locate another object beyond Pluto's orbit. Because, as he told her, if we don't, nobody will. And they used some very high-powered telescopes to try to do that. At first, they went to Kitt Peak National Observatory in Arizona, and eventually to Cerro Tololo, and that is in Chile. And eventually, they went to Mauna Kea, the top of a mountain in Hawaii, and using that telescope, along with the brand new technology of CCDs and blink comparators, they were able to discover the object in the Kuiper Belt that we now know as Albion. And six months later, they discovered a second object in the region, dubbed 1993 FW. Now, by 2018, over two thousand Kuiper Belt objects had actually been discovered. A little bit more is known now about some of these Kuiper Belt objects, and they have been separated into two groups. The first is called a dynamically cold population, and those are objects that have orbits much like planets. They're almost circular, with an orbital eccentricity of less than 0.1, and with relatively low inclinations of about 10 degrees to the ecliptic. The second group, and you've probably already guessed the name, is the dynamically hot population. Now, we have to stop here and let you know that it has nothing to do with temperature. It was just a way to distinguish between these two particular groupings of the type of objects in the Kuiper Belt. And the dynamically hot population, well, they have orbits that are much more inclined to the ecliptic by up to 30 degrees inclined. So a bit outside of the cold or dynamically cold population. And it's also hypothesized that some of these objects that are dynamically hot might have some slight variations in terms of composition. Now, where is the edge of the Kuiper Belt? Now, that is still up for debate. However, there is a hypothesis on that, and they call it the Kuiper Cliff. Makes sense. 
and they're postulating that it's probably somewhere around 47.8 astronomical units. That's essentially about 50 astronomical units away, 50 times the distance between the sun and earth. But despite how big and massive an area the Kuiper belt would cover, the collective mass of the Kuiper belt is relatively low as best as the astronomers can figure right now. The total mass of the dynamically hot population is estimated to be 1% of the mass of Earth. That's not a lot of mass. And the dynamically cold population is estimated to be even smaller, with only 0.03% the mass of Earth. Well, let's take a look at why it took so long to discover any object in the Kuiper Belt. Well, the smallest known Kuiper Belt object, which, by the way, uh, will have a radius below one kilometer, that's very, very small in terms of the solar system objects, they've only been detected by stellar occultations. In other words, when one of these objects will pass in front of a known star. You see, the objects themselves, they're simply too dim to detect. They're so far away from Earth and so far away from Pluto that their magnitude is estimated at 35. Remember, the higher the number, the dimmer it is. And the extent of the human eye can see down to a magnitude 6. So to say a magnitude 35 would be extraordinarily dim in terms of the amount of light that would gather and hit Earth from that distance. Let's put this in perspective. A magnitude 35 object cannot even be seen by the Hubble Space Telescope, even with a long-duration exposure. Are there any of our probes that have gone into the Kuiper Belt? And the answer is actually yes, but as far as we know, there's really, there have been no close flybys of any known Kuiper Belt objects. And that probe is the New Horizons probe that was launched in January of 2006 and reached Pluto about 10 years later. It is now in the Kuiper Belt. One more thing about the Kuiper Belt that might be of interest is the fact that by 2006, astronomers have actually resolved dust disks thought to be a lot like the Kuiper Belt structures around nine stars other than the sun. So for something that's so far away from the orbit of Earth, so far, so distant, that we can't see it even with the Hubble Space Telescope, that we have to use other means to discover these objects, we know a decent amount about it. And of course, there's a lot more yet to be discovered. Beyond the Kuiper Belt, the hypothesized Oort cloud. We'll take a look at that next week. I hope you're enjoying Science Wednesday right here on Weather Jazz. Of course, we try to release topics on Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. On Friday, we can get pretty wild and we can go all over the place. And on Monday, we try to stick with meteorological type data, both near and medium term, to give you an idea of what's happening in that realm. After all, we are called 
Weather Jazz. And if you have a question or a topic suggestion, I welcome your input. You can reach me, weatherjazz at yahoo.com. And also now at the Weather Jazz Podcast Audience Connect line, the number is 234-525-5888. You can easily retrieve both of those addresses by going to the Contacts tab at the very top on weatherjazz.com. Now remember, on Open Line Friday this week, I will be recording that using the Fox 8 Weather Facebook page, and that'll be on a Thursday evening, probably sometime around 8.30. Make sure you set yourself a reminder so that you can pop in and give me a question. I'll be answering as many of those questions live as I am able. So I'm looking forward to it. Open Line Friday coming your way in just a couple of days. Weather and science across the globe. The Weather Jazz Podcast.